is that? Like, it's just ridiculous. Every time I've gone up to, like, the dude talk, they're always like, oh, I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's, just, it's a meme. See, this is the same thing. Um, thank you, by the way. Who said that about my shoes? Thank you. Oh, how are we doing this morning? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, hey, I just want to be honest with you guys. Um, you know, I think uh, today's world, you guys have a lot of voices, right? A lot of opinions. And not only opinions outside of the church, outside of Christianity, but opinions within the church, right? And it can be hard to see clearly when all these opinions start to unfold before your eyes. And it just seems like we live in a world, a secular world, like we're talking about where truth is relative, where you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. And some of that has even just kind of made its way into Christians and into the church. And what we need to do, and I pray that this happens, is that how do we know what's true as a believer? We've been talking about it. We talked about it a couple nights ago. We know because God's word is with us. And we have God's word. And God's word tells us what is true because it is true. Some of you guys might even be asking the question, and I've had conversations with, with atheists, many of them. I, I studied philosophy in college, and I studied philosophy at UCLA. And I had a lot of conversations with students that were atheists. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think you can't argue or prove to somebody that they need to become a Christian. You can't. What happens to be the case is that in most cases, man, atheists and agnostics and the ones that are my friends, and we've had many debates, many debates about whether or not the Bible is true, many debates about whether or not God created everything, many debates about different things. At the end of the day, they don't want to believe. Why? Because they want to live the way that they want to live. And it, it, I, it might sound harsh, but it, even atheists and agnostics would say, yeah, I want to. I don't want to, I don't want to submit myself. I don't agree with this. I, I, I feel that it's, it's, it's harsh, and I don't, I don't want to align myself with the word of God. I'm going to pray. If you guys have those questions, after this, if you have time, I'd love to talk to you. Maybe kind of point you in the direction of some resources, but I'd love to just even just ask you some questions as well. And like some of you guys are like, you're preaching from the Bible, but I don't even believe it's true. And so if you guys have some of those questions, I hope that Eric as well yesterday was able to answer some of those. But um, yeah, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 3. John 3 is where we're going to be at. Like I said, we live in a world of opinion. We live in a world where there's so many different ideas of what it means to even be a Christian, right? And so um, what I want to do is kind of clear the air, make sure that you guys understand, without a doubt, what does it mean to be a Christian? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. You guys have been taught this, maybe by your culture or by different people that you're around. Being a Christian is because your parents are a Christian, 
And some of you guys have probably heard this before because you've grown up in the youth group, but some of you guys, I'm not going to make any assumptions that some of you guys have even been to church. And so some of us believe it's because Christianity is like a rite of passage passed down from the parents onto the son or daughter. That's not true. Some of us believe that Christianity is uh, we prayed a prayer one time and we're Christian, therefore we're Christian, right? We prayed this prayer, therefore we're Christian, and now I get to live the way that I want to live. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Some of us think that being a Christian means that you're a good person and that you're, you live a moral life, and that's not what it means to be a Christian. And so what does it mean to actually follow Christ? Christian means little Christ. What does it mean to imitate Christ? What does it mean to follow in his ways? Every Christian, I'll say this, is a disciple, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow. Every Christian is a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. A disciple is somebody who is a student and learns and therefore then walks in the way of Christ. And so I want to clear the air. I think we live in a world of labels, right? You know, Instagram bios. Like if we have a Bible verse in our Instagram bio, then we're a Christian. Um, Or if we uh, have, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know which apps have bios these days, but we just say that we're a Christian, we claim it, yet our lives look different. Even our Instagram feeds don't reflect, reflect Christ at all. And so what I want us to clear the air, it'd be like if I put on a Bass Pro Shops hat and said, I can fish. No. <laughs> For the most part, in fact, it'd probably mean that I couldn't fish. Um, sorry. No, some of you guys probably wearing Bass Pro Shops hats can fish. Um, but <clears throat> what does it mean to be Christian? And so we're going to dive into John 3, um, and we're going to talk about this topic through the lens of Nicodemus and his interaction with Jesus. And so let's start in the first verse of John 3. Here's what it says. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would transform us for those of us who have not been transformed yet. God, that what it means to be a Christian means that we have been born again. And Father, I just ask that you would speak to us through your word, and that your Holy Spirit would be living and active amongst us in this building, that you would sharpen us, that you would convict us of sin, that you would make us and remind us of your love for us. And all these things would be happening as we preach your word. We love you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's dive right into that first verse, okay? We're going to read it again. Um, Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? Well, it says it right there. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, Jesus actually calls him 
a teacher of the Jews. Nicodemus was well known amongst the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. That's his title. And so it would be the equivalent of some very well-known Christian professor at a university that speaks and is a senior pastor of a church and has books, and people listen to him. He's a man of influence. And Nicodemus, unlike many of the Pharisees, actually accepts a certain truth about Jesus. He actually has the humility to accept something about Jesus. And we'll see it in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So there's a certain sense in which Nicodemus has humility. He recognizes, man, Jesus, we talked about it last night with Jesus' life and teaching. Jesus has been doing some crazy things. And I've seen some of these things, and I've witnessed some of these things, and I have the humility to at least admit, man, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God. Close, but no cigar. Some of you guys might even relate to Nicodemus on this. There's something just different about Jesus. I, I don't know, you know, that he's the only way to heaven, but, you know, I appreciate his teaching. He done some cool things. I believe he's a good dude. I believe in the things that he says. He's a nice guy. That we fail completely to recognize the truth of the passage. So Nicodemus comes in with a certain level of like, man, you're different. There's something different about you. Nicodemus, a man, many people believe that the Pharisees, man, they would have had the Old Testaments memorized. So some of you guys doing your memory verses right now, you're like, holy smokes. Well, some of these guys had the Old Testament memorized. And so Nicodemus knew the word of God. He knew the Old Testament, and he could recite it like the back of his hand. And so when he's interacting with Jesus, you'll see just a very interesting theme. What does Jesus respond to Nicodemus when he says, you must be a teacher that come from God? Jesus responds to him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. I love what Jesus does here because Nicodemus, in a a sense, he's asking Jesus, he's like, man, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God, but in other words, who are you? We don't know who you are. Are you claiming to be the Messiah? Like, we need to know this because we don't know. You're doing some crazy things. You're also saying some wild things as well. So we want to know who you are. And I love Jesus's response to Nicodemus's question, he doesn't answer his question. Jesus goes right in and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Doesn't even answer his question. He just goes right into the truth of the matter. He says, listen, Nicodemus, the most important question you should be asking me is how is one to enter the kingdom of heaven? And there's this misconception that you guys think that you guys are going to enter the kingdom of heaven because you know the word or because you follow the teachings of the Torah or because you live out this self-righteous life that just proclaims to follow rules. But what does Jesus respond to him? He's like, that's the question you should be asking, and I'm going to answer it for you, and I'm going to say this. Unless you're born again, you have no chance in seeing the kingdom of God. What does that even mean? Born again. Nicodemus, right here, he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
I mean, that's a f- silly question, but Nicodemus is very perplexed by this. The first time he's ever heard this. And it's not the first time you guys have heard this. Born again, Christian, oftentimes it's taken on this political connotation. But I want to remind you guys, man, to, to forget about all these, these cultural and political things and just focus on what the word is saying here. And he says, he asks them that question, can a man hop back into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus obviously ignores this question and gives him the truth of what it means to be born again. In other words, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he answers it right here. And he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and unless one is born of the spirit, unless one is born of the water, unless one is born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Another vague answer, right? So we've got Jesus, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus is like, what are you saying? And then he's also saying, you must be born of water and of spirit. And he's like, what? But the truth is, is that Nicodemus actually, probably in this, in this very moment in time, is like, I know what you're talking about. You're quoting Ezekiel. So Jesus does something so cool to the teacher of Israel. He says, I'm going to quote Ezekiel to you, an Old Testament passage, when I say this, so that you can see clearly what it means to be a Christian. This is so cool. If you guys have your Bibles, you do. Open up to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel's right after the book of Lamentations. I'll give you guys some time to turn there. Where did I put my water? Right after the book of Lamentations, Lamentations. Um, And Lamentations is right after Jeremiah. So two pretty big books of the Bible. Ezekiel is also a big book of the Bible. So go ahead and turn to chapter 36. And then we'll read verse 25. And we'll figure out what is Jesus saying when he says, you must be born of the water and of the spirit in order to be a Christian. Verse 25 Ezekiel 36. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. Awesome. Okay, most of you. Let's do it. Verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus, when he says you must be born of the water, we see it in the very beginning of that passage. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Ezekiel is a prophet and he's talking about Jesus in this moment. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about not only salvation for the people of Israel, he's talking about salvation for the rest of the world. And Jesus is pointing back to this scripture and he's saying, unless you're born of the water, right, what it says right here, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Jesus, saying this to Nicodemus, foreshadowing the fact that Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. And in his death, he is going to clean those who come to him, who repent and believe in his name from their sin. 
and he's going to wash them white as snow. And the way that he does this is by taking our place. We deserve the cross of Christ for our sin. Whenever we say our sin is not that bad, we have to remind ourselves, then why did the Son of God have to die for us? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? We'll talk about more of that tonight. But he says, I will sprinkle clean water from you, on you, and you will be clean. I will do this. Jesus is saying, I will do this. God himself will do this. It's nothing that we can do. We can't just try to stop sinning and become a Christian. What we need to do is get on our knees and say, Lord, save me. I need you. I need you to clean me from my sin. I need, to, I need you. And the second part, it says, I will put a new spirit within you. So water and spirit. So it's not only just cleaning, cleaning us from our sins and from all unrighteousness. He's saying that I will put a new spirit within you. The Holy Spirit, right? Not only will I clean you from your sins, but when I rise from the grave, I will also cause you to rise from death to life. This is what it means to be a Christian. That when we come to him, and we actually say, God, I need you. I repent for my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that you're the one, only God. You're the son of God. From then on, Jesus does what? He cleanses us from our sin, and he puts a new spirit within us. And what? We are born again. Notice that Jesus, when he quotes this in the scripture, says, I will do these things. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do that'll save us from our sin. Jesus himself woos us to himself. And some of you guys, even just this week, as you've come into chapel, as you've heard Eric talk <clears throat> about this, your, your heart has begun to soften. You've begun to recognize, like, man, maybe I do believe these things. And I'm telling you, that's a work of God. That's not you. That's a spirit working within you. That's a spirit saying, come to me. Come to me. So we need to recognize that salvation is not anything that we could contribute to. It's God himself that saves us. When we recognize that fact, we get on our knees and we say, God, save me. I need you. If you haven't done so, I pray that this week is an opportunity for you to surrender your life to the Lord. So we've been given this image of what it means to be a Christian, right? And it brings me to my first point. <laughs> We're almost done, but it brings me to my first point, and that is this. If we say that we're a believer and we say that we're a Christian, then we're transformed. We're born again. And right here when it says, I will put my spirit within you and I will give you, I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What it means to be Christian is that God, what it means to be born again is that God has given you a what? A new heart. And when he's given you a new heart, what is the result of that? And you guys can write this down. But the first result of somebody who's actually a Christian is that they love God. Is that you love God. 
And you ask yourself the question, man, some of you guys struggle with your assurance. Man, am I a Christian? Am I going to heaven? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to surrender my life to Christ. And I ask you the question before you even ask whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Ask yourself this question. Do I love God? Because unless we love God, God has not transformed us. When we think of God, if we think of hatred or we, we, we think of blame and we get... And God has not transformed our desires. So that's what it means when God gives us a new heart. What's in our heart is our desires. And what's in our desires is whether or not we, we love him. So you've got to ask yourself the question, do I love him? Do I love him? Because unless we do, we don't know him. The second one is this. If you have been truly transformed, you want to remove yourself as far away from your sin as possible. Hear me when I say this, that when you sin as a believer, you don't immediately have to doubt whether or not you're saved. Recognize this, okay? Because it's a tact of the enemy. Recognize that the Bible talks about it as well. In John 1.8, 1 John 1.8, John says, and anybody who says they are without sin, believers, anybody who says they are without sin, deceives himself. So you've got to know first and foremost that everyone still sins. And we still fall into temptation. But what's the difference between the believer and the unbeliever? The one who's born again and the one who's not is somebody who actually despises their sin and wants to remove themselves as far away from their sin as possible. And some of us, man... It doesn't make any sense for somebody who doesn't believe in Christ to actually hate their sin. But some of us, man, who don't know Christ, we recognize sin is causing my life misery. And even within the life of a believer, you might even say the same thing. I'm miserable. I'm done with this. I'm tired and sick and tired falling into the same sins over and over and over and over again. And recognize, man, in your heart, when, when the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that, don't look at that, flee from those things, you can have trust and know that the Spirit lives within you and that you are a Christian and that you believe in him. Because other than that, man, why would we have any reason? If we don't believe in God, there's no reason to not sin. There's no reason to believe sin is bad. But if we actually do believe in God, it changes everything. We reorient our lives. We're transformed. Ultimately, what we see sin as is an offense to God. Not only an offense to God, but something that grieves God. 2 Corinthians talks about this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, God, it breaks God's heart. And I have to believe that it does, it, it does for two reasons. One, God is holy and just. He can't even, he can't even be in the presence of sin Yet his Holy Spirit lives within us and in the same body that commits sin. And it grieves him. Why? Because that holy being, God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, lives within us. How can sin be in the same body? So as a believer, whenever we sin, we have to recognize, man, it grieves God himself. But number two, God knows this, that sin causes misery. 
And it just destroys us. And some of you guys recognize the cycle. You recognize, man, I have four good days, one bad day. It's all down the toilet. And I fall into bad habits all over again. I want nothing more for you guys than to be free from some of those addictions. And the only way that we can do it, like I said earlier, being transformed means that you now love God. You loved the world. You loved your sin. But after meeting Christ, you recognize it's not for me. I need Christ. I need him. That's the true mark of a believer. The only way, the only way we can fight our sin is not by just trying to stop doing this. It's by what? Replacing our love for our sin with a love for Christ. Loving God. Loving God. You cannot just play defense against your sin. You have to play offense. The way that we play offense is if we say that we love God, and we're going to spend time getting to know him. And I promise you this. Man, someone has these questions like, man, why do we keep falling into my pornography addiction? Why do I keep falling into my substance abuse? Why do I keep falling into these things? Foul language, whatever it might be. And the truth is, it's not a matter of, it's a matter of whether or not you're, you're loving God. And if we love God, then we'd read and figure out who he is through his word. Just spend time in the word of God. Pray to him. Spend time with him. And I'm telling you, if you start to replace all the time you spend on social media, all the time you spend around different people, and you replace that time with actually getting to know the person you claim to love, then your desires will continue to change. And you say, man, I don't want to do this anymore, but then you'll actually start to do it. Then you'll actually say, no, I actually don't have a desire to do this anymore. And God has helped retrain my mind. Your guys' minds have been trained by the world. You're surrounded by this. You're trained to think and see people a certain way on Instagram. You're trained to think certain thoughts right away when you see an image. You're trained. Hours and hours of the day. How can, how can we untrain ourselves? By spending time with the Lord. <coughs> Sorry. Um, my third point is this. And so the first point is you got a, a transformed life of a believer is that they love God. The second is that they want to separate themselves from their sin. Their desires have been changed. The third is this. A transformation happens at one point in your life when you decide to repent and believe. When Jesus transforms your life, when you believe that Jesus died for your sin, you recognize he died for my sin and I did not deserve it. And Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead. We recognize that we've been transformed and we've been born again. But the truth is, is that transformation takes place every single day. It doesn't just happen once, it happens continually over time. And so for some of you guys, man, you're not going to, it doesn't happen overnight. When you become a believer, all of a sudden you're perfect. 
It's not what Jesus talks about. It's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about renewing your mind daily. Renewing your mind daily. Paul talks about this idea, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. And let me tell you, that doesn't just happen once when you become born again. That should happen every single morning for you guys. We have no hope against the temptations of the world. We have no hope against all that is thrown at us by Satan, by different people, by the world. We have no hope against those things unless we renew our minds. When we wake up in the morning, naturally, our minds are not set on the things of God. That's not the way we work. We're sinners. We recognize that. We still have desires to be in the world. We still have... um, we, we still fall into temptation. So what do we need to do? Every single day, we need to be mindful of it. We need to admit, take note in our journals, in our Bibles in the morning. Say, God, renew my mind so that I can live for you today and each day after that. Not just when I come to summer camp twice a year and I become convicted and I'm going to say, I'm going to live for Christ Yet when we go down the hill and we say these things, yet we don't spend the time renewing our minds in the, wor- in the word and in the Lord, how can we expect to live for him 365 days a year? This is not going to be enough for you guys to launch you into the year. Some of you guys even ask the question constantly like, man, <clears throat> when I'm up here at Hume Lake, I feel so close to God. I feel so close to him. I feel like I, 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 I'm actually resisting temptation. I'm actually pursuing him. I actually want to know more about him. I actually want to serve him and tell others about him. And let me tell you this right now. And you it might even feel a sense of comfort and joy. Man, the spirit, I just feel, I just feel joyful. I'm glad I'm here. It happens every year at summer camp for many of you. And let me tell you, it's no mystery why that happens. It's not like Hume Lake's a special place, right? Hume Lake exists so that you guys in the mornings would be in the word of God. So that in the evenings you'd be in the word of God. So that each, every day you'd be in worship. And every day you'd be surrounded by your brothers and sisters that proclaim Christ and that want to live for him. It's no mystery why you feel close to God. Why? Because you're obeying him. Because you're actually obeying him. And when we obey God, we begin to clearly see the way that life is meant to be lived as a transformed believer. When we talk about obedience, we don't like that word. But the truth is, is like when Jesus in John 14 says, if you love me, you obey me. So we proclaim to love him. What's the way that we show God that we love him? We obey him. And it's this cycle. And when you obey him, you guys are experiencing it right now. You feel close to him. He's like a father to you. You want to know him more and more. You want to spend time in his word. You want to worship him. And let me tell you, it doesn't have to only happen up here at Humanite Christian Camps. It can happen 365 days a year. But what needs to happen? You need to prioritize some things you got to reorient some things. Because if you don't change your life, then you're just going to go back and fall in the same temptations over and over again. You need to plan. 
Well, you need a plan. And if you haven't been spending time in your word, if you don't have a Bible plan, <clears throat> I encourage you guys to get one. If you don't know where to start reading in the word of God, I always tell people to start in the book of John like we have been. Or start in the book of Psalms. Or start in the book of Romans. Where it clearly lays out what it means to be a Christ follower. And Jesus says in John 8, If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from the burden of your sin? Are you tired of being your own king or your own queen? Live for him. Spend time in his word. Get to know him. And as a result, that fire, the zeal, I can't promise it will always be there. Following Christ isn't about emotions, it's about truth. And what we need to recognize is that some days are going to be harder than others. And you're not always going to feel like this. But some days you'll feel closer and closer than you ever have been to the Lord when you actually spend time with him. We'll kind of end with this. Like I said, three points. You love God. You want to distance yourself away from sin as much as possible. And the third one is transformation is a daily process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I'll kind of close with this. When we become and we say that we're Christians, it transforms our worldview. It transforms the way that we see the world. And so the amount of uh, conversations I've had with Christians that still believe the way the world does, it just makes no sense. Why? Because if we say that we believe in God, and we say that we've been transformed by Jesus himself, that Jesus is the king, and we live like Jesus is king, and we believe and we think in a different way. We think the way God thinks when we read his word. And so the problem that I have with this is like, man, so many people they become Christians, they get so wooed by the world and what the world thinks and, and how the world views it. And we get so overwhelmed with how we're going to fit our Christian worldview into the secular worldview and how that's going to work. And it just doesn't work that way. He transforms everything about the way that you think. And so certain sins are sins. And certain things we're to abstain from and we're to actually live for him, and we're to actually not fall into some of the things that your friends fall into, and you're actually to be different, and your friends are going to think that you're weird because you don't want to do these things, praise God. Praise God. That's evidence that you actually know him, and that you actually want to follow hard after God. A.W. Tozer has this quote, and Eric talked about this earlier, but he has this quote, and he says this. He says, God grants us the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. God grants us the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. So as a life of a believer, what it means to actually be a Christian is to recognize that we live in freedom, that we actually are free. And that freedom is actually saying no to sin rather than giving into it. And that you actually get to experience freedom. It's not like you have to live the rest of your life battling addictions every single day. You actually get to experience freedom. Why? 
Because you have the Holy Spirit. Because he has the power to raise dead things to life. Do you not think that he has the power to overcome sin in your life? He does. What you need to do is you need to spend time with him. The spirit of truth that reminds you of scripture. And ask yourself the question, man, am I making it a priority? Am I making reading God's word a priority? Am I making prayer a priority? Prayer is so important. It's so important. To think that we can fight sin and not communicate to God is vanity. We need to pray to God and we need to ask him to help us. And we need to ask him to help us with our thoughts about ourselves. Thoughts that lead us into dark places. I mean, I, I have had conversations with you guys that struggle with so many different things. Can you just pray to him? Can you just continue to pray to him? I can't promise all of a sudden when you pray to him, lights will turn on. But over time as you pray, you'll learn that God is listening. Love you guys. Let me pray for us. And you guys can head out of here. Heavenly Father, you've called us to live a transformed life. Transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformed daily but also to be transformed and be born again for those of us that have not been born again. Help us to see, God, for those of us, man, that doubt whether or not we know you, ask ourselves the question, help us to ask the question, do we love you? Do we truly love you? Do we, do we hate our sin? Do we want to be as far away from our sin as possible? Does the sin convict us? Thirdly, do we want to spend each and every day with you and experience what it means to actually follow you, experience freedom? We do, God, and we yearn for that. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. If you guys have questions or comments, love to hear them. I'll be up here.